The Pre-Med Year, session number 383. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Now, welcome to the Pre-Med Years. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, as I just mentioned. I hope you are staying well through these crazy times. Now, last week I had an episode all about kind of how the coronavirus, how this COVID-19 pandemic may affect the pre-med process. Now, a lot of that was based on just my knowledge of how this whole system works, my communications with different adcom members and deans of admissions and 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 a lot more. A lot of it was based on assumptions. And today, we're going to actually hear from a dean of admissions. We're going to hear from Dr. Rafael Rivera, the associate dean for admissions and financial aid at NYU Grossman School of Medicine. Now, I've had Dr. Rivera on the podcast many times before talking about the MMI process, I believe in episode 151 talking about a three-year medical school back, I don't even know what episode that was, Uh, but Dean Rivera, Dr. Rivera, is uh, obviously an expert in this field. He is a great leader at his university and in the admissions process. And we have a great conversation about what can be potentially expected from the med school side and from the student side during these crazy times. And we start even by talking about for students who are currently in the application cycle, as as this comes out at the end of March, there are still students in the application cycle from 2019 who had their second looks canceled. And a lot of them were disappointed. And we talk all about second looks and, and potentially some good things that have come out of that. Uh, some digital second looks, et cetera. So a great conversation about MCATs, the, the the MCAT being canceled, a great conversation about extracurriculars being canceled, timelines, and much, much more. So let's go ahead and jump in, say hello to Dr. Rivera. Dr. Rivera, welcome back to the pre-med years. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Thanks for having me on the show again. I'm excited to have you on. We are practicing good social distancing in between uh, in between our states. We have a lot more than six feet here with uh, with everything going on. I hope you and your family are well. Um, I'm I'm excited to bring you on just with everything going on with uh, SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, coronavirus, whatever you want to call it. Um, students who, especially the ones that are applying to medical school this coming cycle, are worried, students who are in their post-bac that were supposed to be in their post-bac to improve their grades are now getting pass-fail, and now all of a sudden, what happened to the post-bac? I just want to have a nice conversation with you, someone who obviously is uh, at the head of an admissions committee, who is uh, obviously at a, a great institution, a sound mind having you on this show before, on this podcast before, having discussions with you. I just want to bring you on and, and just have a, a good conversation with you and hopefully put some students at ease after this. Thank you. Thank you. That, that's what I would hope so, too. Uh, you know, I, I 
there's a lot of uncertainty going on, right? I, I think there's a lot of stress. You can, you can feel it with everything that's going on with the COVID crisis. With regards to admissions, you know, um, a lot of uncertainty there too. We don't know how long this will last. We don't know um, how much it'll impact the subsequent cycle. I think for this current cycle, we're generally pretty good. You know, we, we uh, at our school, we, we, we finish our interviews at the end of December. And we sent out our first wave of acceptances by the beginning of January. And so now we're sitting tight until, uh, you know, the mid-April, end of April timeframe. What you're seeing schools do now is, is figuring out what they're going to do for their revisit events, right? Their second look events. And, and I'd say, you know, um, uh, a lot of schools started canceling them once, uh, you know, we started seeing that it was really impossible to get groups together. Uh, and I think most schools have, have moved to or are moving to some sort of virtual second look type event. Yeah. Let me let me ask you about those real quick. So a lot of students are concerned about them. And uh, one of the administrators for the Texas uh, application service said, look, schools are just as sad that they're not getting a chance to to show off for you again so that you can hopefully go to them. What kind of two questions in one, which is a, a terrible doctor thing to do. What is a, a student supposed to get out of those second looks and what do schools hope to get out of second looks so i'd say that there are three main uh, goals to to any second look for both parties uh one would be information sharing right so there are there are certain things that that um that you may not get or you may not pay attention to while you're interviewing right we, we present folks with a lot of information when they come on any day but <laughs> they're a little honest, nervous they're very nervous right <laughs> and, and they're not paying attention to much until after that interview gets done. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's an opportunity to really answer any questions they may have, to really showcase what the school has to offer. And, you know, I, I always emphasize to students, um, any U.S. medical school you go to is a great medical school. Yeah. You just have to find what the best fit for you is. Um, and, and so this is part of that. What information do you need to help you make that decision? And, and so you'll talk about things like, you know, what are the nuances that make your curriculum uh, unique? You know, what is what are the different facets of student life that make this a good fit for folks? Things of that sort. So information is one. Arguably the biggest piece, socializing, uh, you know, in terms of meeting your 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 future classmates, you know, current accepted students you know, upperclassmen as well, meeting faculty, really getting a sense for the people who you're going to be surrounded with and whether that's going to be a place you're going to be able to call home for the next three to four years. Uh, and, and then finally, the last piece is, is geographic concerns, you know, because people apply to different schools throughout the country. And, and how does this city, this town, is that a good fit for me? So those are, I think, the three big things. If I had to distill them into nuggets, that's what a revisit would look like. And I'd say that the virtual second looks, the virtual revisits that schools are doing can accomplish most of those things. Mm -hmm. um, and, and as I spoke with our accepted students, it actually allows us uh, to do things in some ways better, right? Because so if you look at our revisit event, well, we, we would have it, you know, folks would come in on, on Thursday night, the bulk of the day would be on Friday where we had some you know, some talks with senior leadership, medical administrators and so forth. We'd have a lunch with faculty and students and then a simulation exercise. And then on Saturday, uh, after a night out with the students on Friday, they'd have some more student-centric activities. But in terms of the information piece, nobody wants to sit through hours and hours of talks. <laughs> no. so, Death by PowerPoint. <laughs> exactly. So what this does is it allows us to create, well, one of the things we're doing is, is shorter, small videos that people can choose to watch depending on what their interests are. 
Yeah. Right. We, we try to individualize our curriculum. Here's a way of individualizing the information available at applicants' disposal. The, the, the trickier pieces are the socialization piece, you know, the socializing piece. But even there, there are opportunities with Skype, with Zoom to create small group sessions that you can bring students about um, to focus on topics that are of interest to them. Right. So we can talk about, you know, LGBT health in one group. We can talk about free clinic in another group. And it allows people to interact that way. So I think schools are starting to be creative mm-hmm. in terms of how else they can um, really introduce folks you know, through a variety of introductory videos or sessions that that really showcase who people are to their future classmates. So, I mean, call me an optimist, but um, I like to think that what's the saying about making lemonade out of lemons? Here's the opportunity to do that. Yeah. And I, I think it will allow students to to get more information about more schools because you can only be at one place at one time. Yeah. Now you could theoretically go to more second look. So it actually is a benefit to both parties. Yeah, I, I see a lot of good coming out of it from that standpoint of seeing what resonates, uh, having those small group discussions, et cetera, to maybe even bring pre-interview potentially or or just information to have on the website to to start yeah. filtering out students who, as, as you mentioned, right, every, every school has the opportunity to be a great school for you. It just depends on the fit. So having a lot of that information potentially like, oh, that resonated a ton with these students. Let's put it before they apply and maybe it'll filter out some students or maybe it'll filter in some students. So Exactly, exactly. And it also works on the back end where you know, um, the the virtual, the, rather the revisits that schools do typically only apply to the group of students who are accepted at that time. Yeah. And so the people who get in off the wait list, you know, starting May 1st and afterwards don't have the benefit of that. Yeah. But now they could, they should. Yeah. So they had the same experience as the other folks would have had before. And so it makes things far more equal in that sense. Okay, very cool. So from a second look perspective, obviously that that has changed with, with not being able to kind of travel as much and, and get into groups. From a the perspective of students who haven't applied yet, those who are going to apply this coming cycle, uh, with changes in their class structure and, and online versus in person and pass-fail and all that stuff, uh, and MCAT's being canceled. Let's let's talk about some of the stuff that's going on right now that that yeah. may affect uh, the applications coming up. So you know, one of the things that I've noticed is going around on the um, there's a pre health advisory listserv uh, talking about pass fail. Right? What are schools going to do with pass fails? What are they going to do with uh, you know taking prerequisite courses online? Um, and, and that's where, again, a prepared mind really is a good thing to have. You, you know, um, really always touch base with the pre-health advisor through your school in a virtual capacity nowadays, obviously. Look at the LAMC's resources, like the MSAR is a great resource to identify, you know, what school's requirements are. I, I would get a sense that, you know, uh, admissions officers are people too. Um, <laughs> you know, they've got families. They, they, they are generally far more compassionate, I think, than sometimes applicants give the admissions <laughs> officers credit for um, but they know that this is hard for everyone and they know that, the, you know, it's really challenging times. And so uh, accommodations are going to be made. And I want people to understand that, you know, and um, at, at, at my school at NYU Grossman, we, you know, we, we don't have prerequisites. So that makes it easier for us. Um, you know, we would prefer grades um, if, if possible, but we realize that that's not going to always happen. And so we are fine with pass fail grading during this time. Um, you know, one of the things that, uh, that, um, that schools are trying to do is to move more courses online. And I'm cool with that. In fact, I think that's a good idea. 
It's one of the reasons that we actually moved to not having prerequisites, which was that um, I think it's kind of wrong of us to be asking more and more students each and every year, right? We, we, we add more and more courses, but we never take courses off. Right? Yeah. So we added psychology, we added sociology, now folks are adding bio, the biochem and stats. <laughs> um, and not to say that they're not worthy materials, but at some point there's a limit in terms of the time you have. And I also think it disincentivizes schools, undergrads, from really putting some extra effort into create integrated course sequences that will give you all the knowledge you need for medical school, but in a far more efficient manner, right? So the running joke is, you know, why is it that we require a full year of inorganic, a full year of organic, and then we recommend a semester to a biochem, when I don't even think the American Chemical Society requires that. <laughs> so yeah, how about we have an integrated sequence that's like the relevant material for inorganic, orgo, and biochem, three semesters, you're done. And yeah. now you can do a little bit of history, you know, so we don't repeat those mistakes, things of that sort. So um, all of this is to encourage schools to do that, to encourage students to be able to do that, and also to encourage alternate means of getting the information. Because at the end of the day, I don't care where you got the knowledge from. I just care that you have the knowledge. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, uh, online education uh, is something that we need to leverage more. It allows us to broaden the access to far larger numbers of people. Um, and um, that's one of the reasons we pay a lot of attention to the MCAT. Because, uh, you know, the MCAT to me is, is the great equalizer in the sense that it doesn't matter where you went to school. doesn't matter where you got the content. As long as you do well on this, you do well on the courses, wherever you are, we're going to be happy with that. So, you know, to, to, to wrap that up, we'll be fine with pass-fail courses. I would prefer, if it's possible, A, B, C, you know, uh, regular letter grades. But pass-fail, given these challenging times, are going to be fine. We will also be fine with online courses. Um, but it does mean that the MCAT will, for us anyway, be be just as important as it always has been. And that brings us to another problem. <laughs> yeah, let, let me let me ask a follow-up before you we jump into the MCAT cancellation yeah. stuff. The the student who potentially is given the the option of pass-fail versus keeping a letter grade. A lot of students are are getting that feedback that they should take the letter grade because that's what schools want and and everything else. But but maybe it's a student who, with everything going on, they're they're not adapting well. Maybe maybe they're homeless, right? They, with where they live is their college dorm, and they don't have anywhere else to go. And now all of a sudden, they're homeless. They're living on a couch. They're they're doing something else. They were working at a restaurant to to pay for all of their bills, and now all of a sudden they don't have a job. And so now you have a student who's in this situation where every life is crumbling around them, and they're still being told, "Oh, you, you have to have that letter grade." Our schools, and I, I know you're an N of one, but do you think if a if if an undergraduate institution offers the option to students and they take the pass fail, school? I, my assumption is that you don't have the bandwidth to go. Oh, this this one small liberal arts school in the middle of nowhere. Um, did you offer pass fail or letter grade, or you're just like this semester pass fail is pass fail. We don't care. It, it obviously. Life was pretty miserable this year, this this semester. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's spot on. I, I don't think, you know, when, when people review applications that they're always going to be looking at whether the school offered it as an option or whether they just made it mandatory for everyone in there. There may be schools who will put that in their committee letters as to whether that was an option or not. But, you know, I, I think that ultimately people are very understanding. I mean, you're looking at physicians who, who typically tend to be maybe more understanding than, than, than most. 
maybe I'm giving us a lot of credit. <laughs> here. But, uh, but you know, um, yeah, just just because we have a preference for letter grades doesn't mean that we're not going to fully in, endorse and embrace a pass fail grade given what's been going on. Yeah. Right. And um, so, you know, all that means is that if you take the pass fail grade, then you just, you, you, as long as you do well on the MCAT, that'll be fine. Okay. So you know, I, 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 I would like to, to think that the applicants can breathe a sigh of relief here in that. And it's, yeah, it may be an N of one from NYU, but I can say that it's, it's not going to be an N of one because when in response to that listserv, uh, I didn't see any one school reply. Oh no, we're still expecting ABCD grades. Yeah, or we're going to look down on that. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I do think people are going to really. I, I don't think that's going to be a major issue. I think you know some schools may sort of uh, you know raise an eyebrow when they see an online course. I would hope that they wouldn't. Um, you know, again, look at the MCAT. If, if they have done well there. If Harvard Medical School can go online, then you can ex <laughs> accept an online undergrad course. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, you know, so, so again, looking at lemons into lemonade, yep. I think this is an opportunity to sort of hopefully relax some of the, the, the conservative thinking that, that happens in, in medical schools and in admissions yeah. committees so that people can embrace these new technologies. Yeah. I think it's liberating to be able to take these courses. Okay. Now the MCAT, that's a different The MCAT. So the, the MCAT has canceled dates up until as we're recording this, April 16th, I believe is the date, right? From a, a public health standpoint, my, my hope is that it gets extended. I don't know if it will at this point. Um, students are, are freaking out, right? The seats are canceled. Pearson, where the MCAT is administered, only has a li limited number of seats, a limited number of days in a week. They're administering other tests, and it's not just the MCAT. And so the AAMC, even if they want to just go, okay, we're, we're going to have tests every day of the week. It, you tell me when you want to take it. Right. And again, lemon in the lemonade, maybe the AAMC looks at an online MCAT that you can take at home, like some like uh, like Casper uh, is doing. Um, but but that's a whole separate discussion. The timeline, right? We always harp apply early rolling admissions, try try to get your application in early. Um, what is that timeline going to look at now? Students who had their MCAT canceled, who for whatever reason needed to push back into June, July, maybe August because of, of test date conflicts. What is that? What does that new timeline look like? Uh, you know, I don't know exactly what the timeline is going to look like because we don't know how long this this you know physical distancing uh, piece is going to go on. I would hope it goes on long enough for <laughs> to keep us all safe. Yep. Um, but you know, it, it, it all depends on when the, the first MCATs start coming online. What what uh, additional resources Pearson and the AAMC, you know, the MCAT folks can can bring to bear to allow people to take the test in a safe format, right? Um, you know, I, do I think that they're going to offer online versions of the test? I I don't, but not but this cycle. Know. Yeah, maybe in the future. That's what I'm thinking. In the yeah, future, they'll go they have you know video yeah. proctoring of exams. Yep. Who knows? Um, but um, but the worst case scenario is, you know, if things get pushed back, right? So, you know, I've got my team looking at all their workflows and identifying, you know, let's let's look at worst case scenario. Let's look at this thing going on into the summer or even into the fall. Yeah. What happens then? And so the first thing that we would do is we would then shift all our uh, deadline dates back. Yeah. And so our, our primary deadline is October 15th. Our secondary deadline is, is November 15th. So talk about pushing that back a month or more. And then commensurately pushing back the start of our interviews. We would start interviewing the, the, the Monday after Labor Day. Maybe now we start in October, we go into January or, or 
as further back as, as we as we need to go back. You know, I I um I, I would just advise folks this is not one of those things that you should be worrying a tremendous amount about because I know that it is stressful. And I don't really want to diminish this in anybody's minds. Um, but one way or another, this will work itself out. Yeah. Um, and the worst case that happens is that things get pushed back a little bit in time. Yeah. And sometimes that's a blessing. It gives you a little bit more time to prepare. It gives you a little bit more time to get ready for interviews, get your letters in. Um, so and that's what I think schools are going to be doing. Um, the, the more interesting thing happens is that what if um, what if this thing continues to the point where we have difficulties doing interviews and, and we're an MMI school? Yeah. That becomes a challenge. And, and so I, I know that there was a school, I think, in New Zealand that uh, did uh, IMMI, as they call them, where, where they had, yeah, they had faculty members each in front of a different computer and the applicants would sign into their computer and it would be the faculty members who would rotate round robin around the computers. Interesting. So that each applicant would get, we, so we'd have to look at ways of doing that if the physical social distancing continued. I yeah. don't anticipate that's the case. Um, and then, you know, the thing with uh, regards to applying early, I think generally that's good advice. Um, but, you know, we, we have an algorithmic approach to screening that I, you know, I'd be happy to talk about on, on this or another session um, that really um, using machine learning to replicate what faculty screeners have done. Mm. And uh, one of the primary reasons we do that is, is not just because we can get a response to applicants much faster, but because it's far less biased. Yep. And one of the ways that it's less biased is temporally, right? So we tell folks, apply early. Why? Because, you know, there are only so many interview spots and there's a lot of great applicants and you want to be in the running to get one of those interview spots. And if a school is not um, careful about properly doling out the interview slots as the applications come, then, yeah, that is a valid concern. And you would do best applying early. Mm -hmm. You know, at, at NYU, at Grossman, we we... We have historic data in terms of when people apply, what the general trends are. They're pretty much always the same. You get a large spike coming in July, August, and September, and then they peter out. So you can basically allocate those spots appropriately. And it's important to me from a fairness perspective that if you apply by the deadline, you get reviewed the same as if you applied at the first day. And so to me, it doesn't matter. But, you know, if you apply early, when do you think most of the top applicants apply? <laughs> the day one top early, applicants right? day one yeah first you're week you're surrounded by other top applicants and yep. how do faculty typically screen they get like a packet we would send them 15 apps a week yeah they review each application but by human nature they will compare them to the group around them yeah so a great applicant doesn't doesn't stand out as much against other great applicants now take that same great applicant who applies later on in the cycle towards the end when there are fewer great applicants now that same applicant stands out in a positive way. Yeah. So the, the likelihood of them getting an interview actually increases if they apply late at a school that doles out its interviews. At, so at a, that, and that's the key part, right? At a school that doles them out appropriately. Uh, um, I, I'm not sure a lot of schools do that. Um, generally, people should apply early. But I say that because I think schools are going to pay a lot more attention to how they dole out their interviews now. I think they're going to be pushing back the deadline. And so I, I don't think that people should worry that they're yep. not able to get their application in on the very first day so that we can see it the very first day of July. I yep. think people are going to be a lot more cognizant of that and a lot more understanding moving forward. Uh, Dr. Rivera, I want to push for you, you and me, we're going to push for no rolling admissions this cycle. 
Why? I like rolling. Why do you not like it? Be- because of everything that's going on in the world, right? The, the <laughs> MCAT test day and, and it's just everything going on. I, I think I think we need a, a, a rolling admission list cycle this cycle. Well, the reason I like it, and I, I, I'll hear you out. The reason I like it is because, you know, one of the things that I don't, I, I'm, I'm really a big advocate of reducing the cost of medical education, the cost yep. of applying to medical schools. You know that, right? The tuition-free thing. Um, and, um, and one of the ways we can do that is if we can get a decision early. I think people deserve to have an early, I, I think it's, I remember when I applied and, and I hated being kept on limbo <laughs> for weeks, if not months on end. I think yep. it's unfair. I understand why it happens. People in schools aren't doing that to be malicious it's but but you as an applicant would want to know much sooner and it's like uh you know i remember in operations class they they, they talked about timed weights are feel much less shorter so if, like in the city before you were like where the hell is this train I, it, and it would seem interminable yeah but now the, there's a sign that says the train is three minutes away at the next station yep so i think it's important to get people a decision early so that it helps them with that but also it allows them to then whittle down the number of interviews that they're still going to do moving forward. And I think that that is still important this cycle, um, given the new variable that's introduced through COVID, so that it allows more people to get into that interview pool so that they could then have a shot. Because if somebody, let's say, has 10 interviews um, and, and, uh, and after getting an acceptance at one school, they can cancel maybe seven of those. Yeah. Well, now that's seven additional interview slots that other folks can come in and then take. And the admission of persons to another school is appreciated because yeah. now that's somebody who actually may matriculate at their school. That's, that's a good ex- example of trickle-down economics that actually works. Sort of, yeah. The only, <laughs> that I the only example. So let's, let's talk about one more thing. With everything kind of the social distancing and, and lots of things closing, a lot of students who were in volunteer positions, who were in shadowing positions, all of that stuff all of a sudden is canceled. And students are now like, well, now that's, that's going to look bad on my application, right? And, 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 and you talked, right? These people who are reviewing these applications are compassionate people. They understand, obviously, that it's not just one person whose shadowing experience got canceled. The whole world is shutting down. From... from a student's perspective, and, and I kind of mentioned it, uh, I don't know if it was on the podcast last last week as I released this one, um, or, or somewhere else, where I said, look, if, if you're scrambling right now anyway to get some shadowing and clinical experience, maybe you weren't ready to apply to medical school to begin with, exactly. and so maybe it's a, it's a good eye-opener to say, hey, I'm just going to take another year and, and get some more experience once everything opens back up, but... For for the students who have prepared, let's let's just take that stance. The 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 research, the shadowing, the clinical experience, all that stuff that's been canceled. How are they supposed to navigate that in terms of talking about it on their application, hours wise on their application? What is that going to look like? Do you think? I mean, just generally, be honest. You know, I mean, this is not something that's affecting one group more than another. As you said, it's affecting the entire applicant pool. So admissions committee members are going to know that they're going to know that, you know, come mid-March, everything dried up and you're not going to be able to, to be working in a nursing home. You're not going to be able to go shadow a physician in, in, in you know, her clinic. You're not going to be able to do much of that. Um, but the key is to, to make sure that you have done enough of that before you apply so that your application is complete. Yeah. And if, if, you know, I always say that things like shadowing opportunities, I am not a huge fan of, of shadowing 
because I think it's a very passive process. I would yep. prefer people who are actually active, you know, research projects, clinical community health, public health projects. Um, but 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 the fact of the matter is you should be doing those things to confirm that medicine is the career choice for you. Yeah. It's not just so that we can see that <laughs> you're, you're going to be great doctor. But it's like, hey, you know, you're yeah. getting into this profession. You should be going in eyes wide open, know fully what you're getting into and say, yep. I can't see myself doing anything else. So, so ultimately, uh, you know, as much as I am an advocate for accelerating education with the three year and, and so forth, I also realize that sometimes you, you can't do that. Sometimes it's better to take a bit of a longer path. So the worst case that happens is if you don't feel that your application is ready because you don't have uh, the experiences under your belt to confirm it's a career choice for you or to make you a competitive applicant, then the worst thing that happens is you you take an Sweet. additional year. We'll yeah. still be here. Right? <laughs> us you know, old guys, <laughs> us old guys are like, it's just another year. And the young kids are like, no, it's a whole year. <laughs> well, I hope we'll still be here, but the institutions will still be yeah. here. Um, and, 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 you know, it, you you come in when the time is right. And it's, it's like that that whole Buddhist thing that I started when we, before we started recording which is that, you know, I, I started reading a book about Buddhism. I think it's like the Buddhism for Dummies book. <laughs> uh, it's a very fascinating spirituality. But, but one of the things I like is it's, you know, it's your reality is kind of what you make it and how you choose to, to view things. Um, and so rather than seeing things as like, oh, this is going to slow me down. This is going to, you know, make it more difficult for me to apply. As you said earlier, maybe it's an opportunity. Maybe, you know, it's, it's, it's a gift to give you the time to really think about the decision more, to really beef up your application and be that much more of a competitive applicant when the time arises. So, so by no means am I trying to discourage people from applying this cycle, because again, it's affected everyone. So it's going to be a level playing field in that sense. But look at it from that perspective of it being an opportunity of a glass is half full kind of a thing and seeing how can I be a stronger applicant? How can I be a stronger physician based on this? There are going to be opportunities that arise. Our, our medical students are doing that. We're going to be posting uh, on our social channels about an article that came out in the New York Times chronicling what our students and, and other students across the country are doing to help people with, with COVID uh, cope with this outbreak. So there are going to be plenty of opportunities down the yeah. road. Just take a breath. Take, take, I always lead with take a breath. <laughs> take a breath. Exactly. Now, I, I, I think I think that's why I like having you on because because you you speak a lot of what I speak and and uh, going back to write the whole checklist thing. I, I talk about sh shadowing clinical experience isn't for the schools. It's for you to to make sure that you like doing this, um, and obviously so that you can get the experiences so that you can have those emotional responses or whatever, so that you can then talk about it in a personal statement and in an interview or wherever to then show the medical schools what you're, why you're doing this. One question that comes up all the time that I, that I see a lot with everything going on is should I put an activity on my application that I didn't get to do because of the shutdown? And my initial response is no, right? You didn't do it. Don't put it on your application. That would be my response too. Uh, you don't want anything to be misconstrued as being dishonest. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, for me, um, honesty is one of those things that you you absolutely have to have in a medical student. Um, you know, academic dishonesty or any sort of this. I, I just I, that I can't I can't tolerate. Just think about what you would expect from your doc. You yeah. want her or him to be. Um, the kind of person you can confide in and you can have the trust in and, and you don't want to breach that kind of trust. Um, I would say if, if you want to talk about something that you meant to do, well, personal statements or secondary, you know, essays, uh, the advisory, the letters of recommendation you may get 
from folks who are going to be writing you these letters. It can be spoken to in any of those capacities. Yeah. Um, but I, I would only put on there unless AMCAS changes that structure to allow things I would have liked to have done. But I, doubt they'll do that. Uh, I, I would have liked to cure cancer, Dr. Rivera. I was planning on curing cancer this semester. Yeah, yeah, and I would like to run a sub four minute mile. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I would refrain from doing that and, and I would okay. concentrate on the things you have done and what you've learned from them. Yeah. It, it, you mentioned secondaries. It's a potential opportunity for schools to, to say, what, what was the impact of this? I'm going to add an extra secondary essay to say, how did, how did COVID-19 affect you or, or whatever, right? Whatever that question is. That might, might be an interesting thing for schools. That and during interviews. I mean, I can yeah. definitely see that people bringing that up either as part of an MMI station yep. uh, or as part of a standard interview. I mean, and, uh, it'll speak to what people did during that downtime. It'll speak to what they learned from it, how... You know how they 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 saw the the medical system when when it's sort of uh, strained by this outbreak and 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 ways that they as the future generation of docs can help us avoid you know some of the mistakes that have gotten us into this position now. Yeah. Um, I mean, granted, we talked earlier about you know uh, being politically active. You know, I, I'm always of the mind that our physicians should first and foremost be physicians, as you have to concentrate on learning what you need to learn as a doctor. Um, but but I think for a subset of physicians for whom a dual degree or an additional set of experiences are useful, yeah, those are the folks who I would love to have in Congress, right, in businesses, you know, helping chart the course for our field, ensuring that patients uh, come first, yeah. you know, and, and not things like, I mean, I'm saying the economy is important, but, but at the core patients should come first. Always. What final words of wisdom do you have for the student listening to this who who hopefully has a little bit of reassurance moving forward with this application cycle and with their journey? You know, my my uh, final words would be that, you know, things are are things are going to be OK, actually. You know, it, it's, it's a scary time. I, I think, you know, doctoring, you know, can be thought of broadly in terms of helping out people with need. And that now is an opportunity for folks through every interaction that they have, virtual or otherwise, to really look out for their fellow men and women and, and, and make sure that people are doing well during these stressful times. It really is an opportunity for people to show their compassion, come, you know, have that come through and, and really help out humanity in that sense. Um, similarly, uh, yeah, I, 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 I think that while this may be a, a big speed bump for a lot of us, I think the vast majority of us are gonna come through this doing well um, and we will come out stronger you know, it's it's sort of the same as what I said earlier with regards to um, when you look at any given opportunity, uh, the impact is in part and sometimes in large part determined by how you respond to it and what you learn from it and, and how you grow from it. Um, and, and this, rather than being seen as a, you know, as an obstacle, it should be seen as a uh, an opportunity, you know, a challenge to yourself to, to be a better person, to be a better doctor um, and to see how this can make you stronger, you smarter, you more compassionate. Um, and, and uh, you know, you're seeing that with our students, you're seeing that with the workflows. It's, it's, it'll, there'll be hopefully a lot of positives that come out of this. So um, I think people should take things seriously, but um, look at things from an optimistic mind frame, mind frame because I, you know, I'm a big advocate of folks who can see the glass is half full and really figure out how to make the glass from half full to fully full. Um, and so that's what I'm hoping people come through. It's, it's, it's going to be okay. We are going to look out for folks. So no worries there. All right. There you have it. Again, Dr. Rivera, hopefully 
providing a calming voice for you during this time. Someone who uh, obviously heads up the admissions at NYU, a great institution for medical school. Someone who has the experience to, to hopefully guide you through this process providing his wisdom for you here on the podcast. I hope this was helpful for you. If you are still struggling, please just reach out, ask me questions. Uh, I try to answer as many as I can. Uh, you can reach out probably the best way at this moment is just email me, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.